0: hello and welcome to another episode of what it's the comedy entertainment show hopefully where adults give each other a book report of a mystery marvel or machination off their choosing the points don't matter but the stories are real my name is ellie main and joining me as she does every week is chelsea harfouche what's up chelsea how's your week been <laughs>
1: Oh, just no, softly just crying <laughs> like a extreme sob no uh I mean you know what it's Tuesday it feels mm-hmm. like I I need to come up with and I mean I like there are any who watching my call out there <laughs> that, that want to nice. help come up with this I need a word in the English language yeah that is like an eighth day of the week but hear me out it's not in the regular cadence of days uh-huh. it is the day that you say it is when you can't believe that it's like only tuesday or like only monday you're like oh, oh i God, like it. that it feels like Flem day but like i
0: love that yeah you know
1: what i mean but it's because it's like it's just the week is there's just too much week in the week and you're exhausted
0: yes and also it just the the, the emotional roller coaster that is the week just feels out of whack
1: right yeah, so you're like, like the day is not right. Like no matter, maybe you could use like no matter which way it goes. Like even if it's like it feels like Friday, but you're like, gosh, this week went by so fast. You're like, it's fucking Flem day. I don't want to. be like Flem day. So it's like Flem day, but not Flem day because it's disgusting. But so mm. like we do need a word for it. I feel, and that's how I feel right now is just like I literally looked at my calendar, realized it was Tuesday, and then almost started to cry because I was like, I have done so much shit. And I still have so much more week to go. Oh, that was why this is. It's fun. not opposite day. It's not opposite day. What's something
0: that means like out of place? Out of. Hmm.
1: Man, we sure are writers, huh?
0: We sure are. We're crushing um, it. <laughs> what about messy day?
1: Ooh. What about? <laughs> What about, like, yeah, I do like the idea of, like, what's, like, a, just, like, a word that will fit in here? Like, stitch day. Like, it just got stitched in or stitched out. You want,
0: you want like, a one syllable?
1: Saturday is the only day of the week that's not one sim- syllable, right? So I feel um, like we should leave Saturday. We should give that to Saturday. I don't want to take that away from them. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, this is bad very- day. Bad day? <laughs> I feel like it's bad day. You know what I mean? I don't hate that. Oh, 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 Grim like, day? Grim day? Oh, I do like that. It's a grim day. It's grim day. It's grim day, ladies and gentlemen, as we're recording this podcast. And I I have, like, a sidebar level vodka soda in my hands right now, which is good. Yes.
0: Do you think that all grim days exist kind of in their own dimension? And there's a dimension that is just full of grim days and where time isn't really a thing?
1: I think there is a great, like, switchboard operator in the sky... Uh, and every day when you regain consciousness from the sleep space they're yeah. supposed to plug you in to where you go in your bored. <laughs> and I uh-huh. sometimes they don't plug you into the right board and you are in like grim board and then that's why your day sucks
0: grim board
1: you're you got plugged it's like you know like this is just like an un, like this is like a quirky fun manic pixie dream girl take on like glitch in the matrix (laughs) it's like you just got plugged into the wrong board and so like everything all the like elements of your day are there but they're just not right
0: (laughs) just not right
1: it's just not right ellie i have such a fun topic for you today. do you i think you're really gonna like it i
0: I... have channeled you and i have a topical (gasps) topic
1: oh my god yes i love when this happens we've such synergy we've flim flammed Uh, (laughs) we've flim flammed and I just realized that I'm wearing my bike shorts on backwards.
0: Power. Oh. I was going to
1: say bike shorts in general, powerful. Thank you. I love you know, I love a bike shorts look. I just love to be, I just love to be squeezed.
0: I remember that we were at a restaurant or perhaps nomad one time. And it was a bunch <laughs> of people meeting up for happy hour. I know those two things are very different. And you made a hilarious announcement that you were so glad that so many people could come out for your cycling shorts day. <laughs> Because some cycling shorts that you ordered had arrived and you were wearing them. And he was like, guys, I'm so glad that so many of you could make it to the debut of my cycling shorts.
1: My favorite thing about moments like that that we used to have in the before time is that yeah. uh, that there would inevitably be somebody there who was like a tertiary friend who wasn't used to like who I am as a person. Yeah. I, like, I always look uh, I always look for that one person that's just like leaning over to their friend and is just like, she's
0: serious. What was I supposed to do? Yeah. Should... One eyebrow is so high and like, yeah. why, have you, why have you brought me to this? What? What's happening?
1: Well, you know, like, yes. I feel like when you're like a weird kid as a kid, you either <laughs> go one of two ways. You stuff that down <laughs> and you become really basic. You're like oh, oh, I was man. never weird. Wear my giant <laughs> hat. I want to wear it indoors every day. <laughs> or, or yep. you have to reprogram your brain uh-huh. to enjoy the moments that people are like, "Holy shit, you're so weird." And so yeah, and you get I this really sort like of internal
0: those. glowing pride of like, "But I keep it interesting, man." Oh, may I segue us into five fun fast facts?
1: Yes please, ma'am. Okay. Okay.
0: Number one. Tennis players are not allowed to swear when they're playing at Wimbledon.
1: I think I knew that because
0: You get told off. John
1: McEnroe wasn't he like somebody who like constantly got in trouble for like just being like Mm -hmm.
0: for being uncouth. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a real gentlemanly sport.
0: It is. Number two. A lion's roar can be heard from five miles away.
1: <gasps> Loud well, can kitty. I you, can I give you a tangential fun fast fact onto that one that I think you'll like I would call
0: this. Um, I would like to call this a clap back fact.
1: Okay, clap back fact. Ready? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make it really short. Uh, my boyfriend told me this. <laughs> Uh, and i was like you don't want me to have this information uh female lions when they're in heat they can they can mate up to like 80 times a day and if they feel like their male partner is not like satisfying like their needs uh they bite them on the balls until they uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) until they agree to mate with them
0: they snap them on the legs and the balls until they're like oh okay fine (laughs) i'll
1: do it and i was like why are you telling me this i will do this to you (laughs) Number
0: three, in the 16th century, Turkish women could initiate a divorce if their husbands didn't pour coffee for them. Good. That's so good.
1: That's like the, that's the original, like, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. <laughs> you know what I mean? My Jesus and Java. <laughs> oh, Jessie Beth. Um,
0: number four. Yes. Approximately 10 to 20% of US power outages are caused by squirrels.
1: What?
0: Ten to twenty percent of US power just like oh, going through the wires.
1: <laughs> what are they doing?
0: <laughs> They're jumping they through the wires.
1: Oh, oh that's sad. I don't mm-hmm. think they it probably doesn't go well for them.
0: <laughs> well, I didn't think about that.
1: No, but it's fine. I they don't have to be good facts.
0: Um Oh wow. Number four Wait, four I or need? five.
1: I'm sorry. They're very good facts. They don't have to be like good news facts.
0: That's true. Uh are you on four or five? You're on five. The fifth one? Yes. A swarm of 2000 bees followed a car for 2 days once because their queen was stuck inside of it.
1: What? <laughs> Wait, how far? Would you say?
0: It just says for 2 days, a swarm okay. of 20,000 bees followed a car for 2 days because their queen was stuck inside the car.
1: How do you not see 20,000 bees and think like I think you do. And like but... be like I'm in I'm in a plague like
0: <laughs> I'm dying. I thought like, the queen was must have been like in the trunk, or just chilling,
1: because uh-huh. I feel
0: like you'd be like, what the fuck? Mm, maybe put those two two things together if you knew anything about bees.
1: Yeah, I feel like also like I feel like that is and probably because of bees. Like let's be real, that is the. Um, the plot of, like, almost every major, like, mo- like monster... <laughs> every like
0: major bee feature. narrative?
1: <laughs> yeah, like, no, like, creature feature. Like, they're always just like, oh, it turns out you have their eggs, or oh, you stole their... Oh, right, right, right. Or oh, you know what I mean? Like, it always mm-hmm. comes back to that. It's like, screenwriters learned one thing about, like, animal behavior, and they're like, this is fucking shit.
0: They should have realized they were in, like, a cat's like live-action creature feature.
1: <laughs> yeah, or, like, Jurassic... Whatever. We're did
0: you ask me for? This is five, 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 five. Give me your title. What have you got?
1: Oh, my title? Okay. Um, are you ready? Yeah. My title is, am I a good person?
0: Hmm. <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> wow. I'm joking. You're one of the best people.
1: Thank am you. Am I a good person? Am I a good person? Are we talking like moral relativity? Moral relativity comes into it for sharks. You know how I love to start with a question and then like connect it to a story. Yes. So that's like importante.
0: It's Uh, like importante. uh,
1: As another clue, since that's like not super obvious, uh, Mm -hmm. this does... This isn't like a direct sequel, like what Celia gave us with the Bone Wars, but it does connect to a previous What Topic that I've done. Oh. So like, uh, I did a What Topic Mm -hmm. kind of about a certain very famous event, and then now I'm doing another What Topic that's kind of about a very famous event. Or this very famous event appears in both topics, let me put it that way.
0: Uh, Was it the diplomatic immunity? No
1: event. Oh, okay. Because I was like, she is
0: not a good person.
1: Uh, <laughs> not a good person. Also, that would be too topical. And you're like, we we figured out subconsciously in our dreams last night that you were a topical person this time.
0: But I was. That was I was to be topical. I mean, it's sort of. We'll get
1: there. Um. More
0: Would you judge me for looking up the list of our episodes? No. <laughs> is it anything to do with Forest Fen? No. <sighs> Um, I mean, for fear of just going through all of our old, amazing episodes, can't believe you have to talk about dot, 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 someone. No. Okay. Well, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to save it and wait for, for it to be revealed. Okay. I think you're going to be
1: really excited.
0: Oh, okay. My title is only the highlights. Only the highlights. And it's Topical. It's topical in a macro sense, not in, not specifically in a current news sense, but in like a of the time sense. I don't know what you call that.
1: Is it about, is it about kind of like how like news coverage works? You could say that. Like, is it about, I mean, I guess like that in and of itself is really broad. I'm just thinking about, like, like trending topics, like the algorithms that show us information. That's um, part of it. That's oh, shit. And then, God, what was the thing that you just told me I was dipping a toe into mm-hmm. when I was talking? <laughs> oh, about performative. Oh, is it? I mean, I, I feel like this is, like, too vague and you're usually, like, much more, pro- like, organized than this. But is it, like people who like get all this money, like a punditry where people are just like, here's my, I have something to say," but like they're not actually like <laughs> reporting the news. I have something to say. No, it's less about the
0: news. Okay, I'm excited. Remember your top down, bottom up? Yes. I'm bringing some things together.
1: Oh, she's bringing it together, folks. Yeah. Get your ass ready. Get Get your ass ready. Oh my God, please kick us off. I can't wait any longer. Oh, you want me to start? I want you to start, I'm very excited to listen. Okay.
0: So I am going to be presenting a top-down, a sort of overview, and I'm hoping it might be more of a conversation, commentary, debate with yourself. Chelsea yeah. um, than a straight presenting a topic because I want to talk about let me just back up a second I feel like you touched on a little while ago we were talking about the idea of having a platform
1: mm-hmm.
0: and how it's unhealthy to um, to we were talking about that in context of our own podcast and saying like when we, we we you don't actually know most of you right yeah like and we and we think it's harmful to Pretend that um, that we do, and that we have a relationship beyond us putting content out into the world, right? Right. So I want to talk about the lie of false intimacy.
1: <gasps> oh I'm so here for this. I've been thinking about this so much this week,
0: which is why I ho- I know that you can jump in at any point and we can take this off the rails if we want to.
1: Yeah, no, I love the idea of like keeping it conversational. Um, okay, cool.
0: So. Just lay a little bit of groundwork, a bit of foundation. Um, According to the Mental Health Foundation, one in four people will experience some kind of mental health problem in the course of one year. That's a lot. 25% every year. With mixed anxiety and depression, the most common mental disorder in Britain and in the US. Basically in the West. Um, And I think that it's not a huge surprise for most people listening... We've, we've definitely heard this at least once that social media is heavily linked to anxiety and depression. Oh, totally. Um, and if you don't know, now you know. And you're going to know a little bit more about it. <laughs> I was thinking about that and I was wondering how much is that causation uh, and how much is that contribution to every other way that we live right now oh, in this okay. year of our Lord 2020. Okay. And so I started to kind of break it down. The number of quote-unquote inboxes that we have, each one of us, most likely, is pretty staggering. So, email. I have three email accounts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Public Twitter, Twitter DMs, public Facebook, Facebook messages, Facebook chat, LinkedIn messages, blog comments, if you have a blog or a website, Skype, and now Zoom, text messages, Instagram, just your normal phone, Discord, Snapchat, voicemails, TikTok. uh, And then probably on top of that several topically or geographically specific forums like nextdoor or uh, voice chats on top of just like uh, no, not voice chats group chats on top of just normal text messages with people right
1: right oh, yeah, there's just- a lot specific
0: that's a fuck ton of social networks it- that's an insane amount of of things that we're you know we sort of decide to keep up with and it feels like to us i think like it's a lot of relationship bait in the water
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, because i think that we convince ourselves that slicing our attention is so thin like and that is a good idea because we believe that more relationships or more communication provides more opportunity and i think this is kind of reflected in a lot of the language that we hear every day which is like it's not what you know it's who you know uh social media makes the big makes a big world smaller Mm -hmm. um And then I've even heard these distinctions like LinkedIn is for people you know, Facebook is for people you used to know, Twitter is for people that you want to know, right? I'm going to just take this one example of, unfortunately, many out of history. Going back to 2011, right, before we really hit our social media heyday in any way, there was this guy, Trey Pennington, um, and he was very, very well known at the time. He ran a consulting practice, a blog, and had an online radio show and had maintained presence Maintained presences on Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus, (laughs) because 2011. And then one day, quite out of the blue, seemingly, to the hundreds of thousands of people that followed him, he committed suicide in a car park. And then a fellow, someone in his social media circle, wrote this on his own blog the next day. I interacted with Trey quite a bit online and twice spent time with him in three dimensions. Trey was one of the kindest, most interesting, generous people I'd ever met. He was truly one of the good guys in social media and his background in theology and storytelling gave him a refreshingly different outlook on all of this. He will be missed and if the outpouring from the social media community is any barometer, his impact on others was perhaps far greater than he knew. I considered him a friend and I suspect many of his 100,000 plus Twitter followers considered him a friend. But clearly, most of us were not his friends, as his death came as a complete surprise despite the fact that he had prior suicide attempt earlier this year and had been discussing his problems with confidants. But if you asked me yesterday morning, I would have said that Trey was a friend. Social media forces upon us a feeling of intimacy and closeness that doesn't actually exist. Why do we spend considerable time building large networks of shallow connections, potentially at the expense of deepening a few cherished relationships upon which we can truly rely? And I thought that was just like a really, and that's kind of where it ends, where this blog post ends. And it's clearly like he's reflecting on his own life that like up until that day before, he thought he was like riding the wave of success, right? He thought he was doing everything you're supposed to do to be a quote unquote important, valid person. Right. And this person's close to him, but he then realizes it's not actually that close to him. Mm-hmm. Commit suicide. And I think this guy's last tweet was something like, grateful for... Friends who were offline friends as well as online friends. That was like the last thing this guy said. Yeah. And so breaking social media down, we always, as we like to do on this podcast, have to take it back to our lizard brain, right? Yes. So our human mind is completely and totally wired for comparison And I think, in my opinion, with social media, we've twisted a tool of at-the-fingertip communication into uh, a tool of validation we carry in our pocket. Social comparison theory was first put forth in 1954, and it's the idea that a hunter-gatherer might have realized he was especially good at tracking prey, Mm -hmm. making him indispensable guide for hunting parties, um, and he could leave the spearing to those who had better aim, and that's like really where this started to come. Our... Uh, instinct of saying okay so you're good at that and you're good at that and you're better in this area but I'm better in this area and working out our kind of hierarchy in that way was designed to keep us alive like most things that we do (laughs) the most things that we've now twisted and evolved into different things Mm -hmm. and you can still see that there is uh, definitely a benefit to social comparison in a way nowadays someone realizing that they're a math whiz might aim for an engineering degree and someone who's better suited to creative and, and writing can you know that it's, it's kind of obvious that we have we do have to have a sense of comparison in some way scientists call measuring the self against others a, a modus operandi of the, human wine, of the human mind
1: uh-huh
0: and again like another because I, I don't want to say that like the all of comparison is bad and I, I think we all understand parts of it can be really harmful but Right. On, the, on the other end of the spectrum, the inspiration you feel about someone else's achievements can rev up to motivation to improve your own skills in that area. Like when I was reading your script that you sent me recently, while reading it through, it gave me this huge kick up my own butt to like write my own stuff and get my own stuff out there. Right. Because right. you see someone else's proficiency at something and you think, wow, that's amazing. I want to cultivate that in my own life. That's like our measuring ourselves against each other in a healthy way.
1: Right. Yeah. We're like inherently social creatures. So right. I think anything that I think that anything that lifts up the self lips lifts up the group. So therefore they're like inextricably linked. Which right. And be good.
0: If you think of about yes. it. <laughs> so let me take another social media example. Okay. Um So judging from her Facebook page, Lisa, and I'm just gonna call her, I don't wanna like reveal who she is. Mm-hmm. Uh appears to live like a pretty amazing life. She is about, she's a middle-aged advertising executive and all of her pictures are her strolling through London or other like, you know, amazing destinations and choosing fresh produce at farmer's markets closer to home and her beautifully prepped meals and her gorgeous family. And even those who spent time with her in person might think her extremely fortunate. She has uh, a grown-up daughter, devoted husband. She lives in a New York apartment um and she's always you know reveling in the city's cultural offerings and she had recently had a um i don't actually don't know if it's recently and she had a personal essay published in the new york times she's like a lady on the up and up right with a big great social media following she is interviewed about this and she says i have difficult feelings about how i don't have what i want i feel as if i've made the wrong choices and fallen short and all she does is reference the other people her age, in her life that she knew before, what they're doing and how it's so much better than what she has.
1: Aww.
0: Which is just a proof that social media is this turbocharged precision instrument for social comparison unlike anything in human history up to this point.
1: It's definitely not how we were designed to like interact with the world.
0: <laughs> no. And so this is where the, only the highlights comes in because Part of its uniqueness, and this has been pointed out by researchers, paint it, it paints a heavily skewed picture of one's social universe. Or one's whole life, really. Um, people are obviously most likely to share peak experiences and flattery news about themselves. Like, how many times have you seen, like, oh my gosh, guys, so exciting news coming, dot dot dot.
1: Right. Or even, like, if you, like, you know, you go to, like, a family event where, like, cousins or somebody who you don't see that often is there. Like, you're not going to sit down and be like, oh, my gosh, cousin Martha. Let me tell you, like, everything that, like, exactly medium that's been happening in my life recently.
0: Let me tell you about my uh, cheese on toast I made the other day. Yeah. It looked gross. It tasted great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then you earlier were talking about algorithms. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important here because we have to understand that these apps and these features that we use, use algorithms to prioritize that very information to us, only the highlights. Right. It already filters out some of the more mediocre, had a cheese sandwich today, and it shows us these, got my first book published, having this photo shoot, and it shows us these glitzy, glamoury things that people are posting much more than just the average slice of life. And so we get this very distorted slice of reality displayed on social media that's actually constructed to make people feel deficient and discouraged.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then the more we see that, the more we start to question our own lives. So this, this lady, Susan Fisk, she's a Princeton University psychologist. She says... It creates a tsunami of excess information at warp speed, which in itself intensifies the effects. The speed with which we scroll through social media, combined with what we're seeing, builds and builds on itself to worsen the problem in our own minds. And she coined the shorthand, envy up, scorn down. To summarize, the feelings provoked when we weigh our worth next to other people through social media.
1: Oof. Yeah, I I think this makes sense. There was an article I was reading recently and it wasn't about social media specifically. It was geared more towards like um, news consumption and current events, but they were, Mm -hmm. it was a, like a biochemist who was specifically talking about how our brains aren't meant to process this much information. Like Mm -hmm. on some level, our brain is a computer. And if you think about like, you know, to, to put it in like video game speak, uh, like you know, <laughs> if you try to play Overwatch on like a 2010 computer, it's just like it might play a little bit, but like it's at the best, like your computer is going to sound like it's, you know, trying to go into orbit. Right. And the it's just not going to work. And I think our, our brains are like that as well. Like you said, like, you know, we have a lizard brain that was designed to get in a pack, establish order in a pack, and then provide for that pack so Mm -hmm. that we could stay alive it definitely was not meant to to rationalize and internalize thousands to tens of thousands of strangers accomplishments and then understand what that means in context for our own lives exactly so we
0: used to absorb these we used to absorb these things so much more sporadically Mm -hmm. um you know like back in my parents' day or something, they'd get some kind of, like, alumni bulletin that a former classmate had made partner in the law firm and everyone would be like, oh, well done, Jerry. And that that was it, right? It wasn't, like, these, yeah, exactly what you said, tens of thousands of sepia-filtered jolts of information uh, that, like, are everywhere in our day. Um, And I found this out that I thought was really interesting. The fact that when we check social media when we do, which is... The tendency of that is in our downtime, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You're eating lunch, you're on a commute, you're waiting in line for coffee, maybe you're trying to go to sleep, maybe you just woke up. It's when you're not busy. And when we're more likely to be self-reflective, and that can make for a really ugly juxtaposition because you see someone tweet about their fabulous new job or their new house or their new boyfriend or their new baby or tweet their beautiful wedding pictures when you're like eating a sad salad... (laughs) (laughs) Or you look at these pictures of like, oh my gosh, like engagement photos, so happy when you're trying to get a break because you just had a row with your boyfriend. Right. So it creates this like even further from you, either further from your own experience kind of gap and which worsens this idea of someone else's life is so much better than mine. They're more amazing than me. They're prettier than me. They're better than me. And gets you back into this sort of obsessive cycle that most people in our generation are in when it comes to all of this stuff. Also, and I think another important thing that we should know about these companies like Twitter, like Instagram, like Facebook, which is the same thing, I know that. (laughs) Like all of them, they added this like feature, the ability to like people's posts later uh to give us this idea of some kind of like imagined social ladder like a metric, right, we ascribe explicit valuations to people that were once not there at all like they' I don't remember this particularly, but before like it was a new thing to be able to like a picture
1: mm-hmm.
0: or that the that like, the values were shown, and so then it even. Uh, that it compounded the problem a lot of this information by the way comes from a guy called mitch prinstein who is a psychologist at the university of north carolina and he wrote a book called the power of likability in a status obsessed world yeah something that a lot of people talk about when it comes to social media is that um and I, i've I, you i know i hear this a lot from my parents of like it's a generational thing
1: <laughs> um Sorry, Kelly's <laughs> parents. I I love you both in theory since we haven't met in person, but no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a generational thing,
0: but it is an age thing. So
1: I'll give that. there is
0: there's a scientific reason why teenagers in particular are more prone to the feverish to the feverish pursuit of social media.
1: Oh, I see. Okay, yes. Okay.
0: I mean obviously the comes to you know who had the technology and who didn't. Sure. That's one thing. But it's much like I I would be interested to be able to like jump fifty years in the future and see what Gen Z are like, because <laughs> <laughs> the wide variety of regions in the brain that seek and deliver social rewards, including the part of the striatum. Is that in, that's in the brain? Called the nucleus accumbens, some brain stuff for you there. Okay. Become Supercharged when you're a teenager, um, and social rewards become an activation of dopamine within the brain, which they aren't when you get older. When we feel like we're getting attention or positive feedback from others, it's kind of why teenagers are like well, looking at me. Like you're <laughs> highly attuned. You're highly attuned to attention, social reward, positive feedback when you're a teenager. When you're like building who you are.
1: Gotcha. That I mean, that so makes sense from an evolutionary perspective as well, right? Is that like, Uh if you're building who you are, you should want to build yourself in a way that like, the pack likes. The pack
0: enjoys. Yeah. And it activates, you know, this is kind of how any addiction works, it activates the part of the brain, like a drug does, which is why teenagers are actually addicted to social media. But and then, and now let's relate this to, I would say, you know, older Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, to a degree. Although some people I know definitely. (laughs) Most adults who grew up prior to the age of social media can recall having experienced the same innate drive for attention as teenagers, right? Like we get that. I didn't really have social media when I was like 12, 13, because it just wasn't really a thing. But I remember that feeling of like, please give me attention. It's part of a natural process of reflected appraisal, wherein we develop a sense of who we are from how others view us. Just kind of exactly just what you said. But that hypervigilance of how other people see you is supposed to go away in adulthood. (laughs) But social media coming into our lives, I'm 29 years old, when it did, has created what scientists who study social media call lifelong adolescence.
1: Uh, I uh, 100% believe that.
0: It, It makes it too easy to keep making comparisons in a very adolescent way. Because that's how we've basically grown up and evolved with this technology evolving at the same time. So we're a little bit fucked in that regard. (laughs) Yeah. Bringing this to a slightly more, uh, I mean, it is personal, but even to a slightly more personal place. This is again from Dr. Prinstein, the scientist that wrote a book about this, really knows his ish. When we are reliant on others for our sense of self, only feeling good if we get positive feedback or markers of status, we're at huge risk for depression. This now really is sort of talking to those people that have the, the people that post the outfits, the people with the bigger following. And I would be remiss if I did not say at this point, if I did not acknowledge that I have a large social media following. Yeah. And I have posted many a post about just the things in my life that I'm doing. And I'm so happy to slam my hand down on this table and say that a lot of the time when I do that, I'm looking for attention and validation because that is what this app is for. These apps are for. But let me continue. Having acknowledged that, we know the foundation of our own self-worth that we have built when we do this isn't actually real. Mm-hmm. The place that we turn to for validation, for positive attention, we are more likely to believe that than the people closest to us. Can you, like, can you identify with that? I can yeah. like put on an outfit... Go outside and Miles will be like, "You look so beautiful." And I'm like, mm, "Thanks, thanks so much." Yeah, you know, I don't really think so. I think I look kind of fat here, and I'm not really sure about this. I'll post a picture and see those comments and be like, "Ooh."
1: Oh, actually, I do look. Now I, now I know. Now I've crowdsourced it.
0: Now I've crowdsourced it. A bunch of people that I don't know who don't love me, like Miles loves me, have told me the same thing, and I believe that more readily than I believe him. Why do we do that? I would say this risk at depression, and Princeton agrees is that we know consciously or subconsciously the only reason that we publicly praise or interact with someone instead of sending them a private personal message is to get social cash back. Oh yeah. Rather than like, if let's say that, um, which hand to God, I really, I I pray this happens. Your script wins a grand prize and you get $10,000. Right. And we get to like, you get to make your script and I'm sorry to, put that dream but like I believe that should happen for you so much it would be one thing if I sent you a card and a bunch of flowers and a gift and I said I'm so proud of you I love you so much you're amazing you inspire me you're my one of my best friends and I'm gonna know you forever and you're gorgeous and amazing that is a a message that I wanted to send to you because I love you and I want and we have a real personal in the world relationship if I was to do that same thing online with an emoji present and emoji flowers (laughs) the (laughs) only reason that I would the only reason I would choose to do that is so that other people could see how nice I am.
1: Yes, <laughs> I think so. Let me ask you, and it's a, it's on topic, but it's like a little bit of a tangent. Let me ask you this, because so, you know, I, I, I feel weird saying I would be remiss because like I don't have a social following at the level that yours is, but I have yes. a social following that is, you know, like considerably higher Still, than the average in person. the top
0: in the top one percent.
1: Yeah. For, whatever. Yeah. See, even now, right now, we're comparing ourselves. So, like, I feel weird talking about it because I am mm-hmm. talking about it with somebody who has a higher social following than I do. But I have had this struggle where, let's say that like, it's not even like something happy happens for someone else. Let's say it's something bad. Like, somebody says mm-hmm. that they, you know, got laid off from their job or that they had this, um you know, violent or tra- traumatic experience that they're sharing online. And yeah. if it is really a friend or a person I know offline, my first instinct is to send them like a text. It's just like-
0: Yeah, are you, like, I saw they, your
1: tweet. Right, that goes back to kind of like the things that I have studied about trying to be a better person in terms of just like, you don't have to respond to this. Like I'm I'm decentering myself in this message because it's about you. You don't have to respond to this. I just want you to know I'm here for you. I'm so sorry to hear that this happened, dah, dah, dah. But then there's a part of me that's like, if I, everyone else I know in the social circle is posting oh my god saw at so and so's message mm-hmm. i can't believe this still happens and i i'm not saying that i think that every single person that does that is fake i'm saying i too have felt that experience where i'm like if i don't post it do i now look like a bad person do i look mm-hmm. like the only person that doesn't care in our group right because i didn't let a ten thousand strangers know that i did care And there's a part of me that's like, fuck this. No, like I, this is my friend. I'm going to talk to them. I don't need to make this about me. I don't need to center like my thoughts in their experience. But then there's always like a tiny part of me that's just like, yeah, but then everyone's just going to think that you're a monster. That's the only one that doesn't care about like sexual assault or something. Right.
0: And let me be clear. I'm not saying that if you do make that kind of comment public, then you only care about yourself. But I'm saying you have to acknowledge that there is a part of that decision to do that that is about yourself.
1: That's
0: about you, yes. And you can, so you can, because you know, we talk on this podcast a lot, you can hold both. You can have the, uh, the genuine concern or affection or, or praise, whatever it is for your friend. But the choice to do that publicly is a choice that you know is going to get social cash back. And there is a part of that that's about you. That's Let me round this out. Let me round because I've been out. talking for a long time. Um, so, comparison is unavoidable in life. We talked about our lizard brain. Lizard brain's always going to be there, and it's important that we recognise it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, like even if it feels disappointing at the time, the realisation that you're not particularly good at something can be a helpful lesson. Yeah. Such as um, me skating at the Velo Park <laughs> and getting to one sharp hill. Falling on my ass. Having an old lady on rollerblades go past me going, hey, it gets a lot worse than this and you might want to not. Was that humiliating? Yes! <laughs> but did I avoid breaking a thousand bones? Yeah. And I sadly walked back to my car. And anyway, I don't even think about it. But it was a helpful <laughs> lesson. And she's never brought it up. And I've never brought it up. And no, I won't ever think about it again. It doesn't haunt me. Let's talk about some protections against falling into the comparison trap.
1: Okay.
0: So the best way to pull yourself out of it is to develop and maintain a stable sense of self. And that might sound like, let's meditate, guru. But like, let's just break it down. What that means is cultivating your identity and self-esteem. Nourishing relationships with people who really actually see the real you, not a you that you curated. Uh-huh. And staying attuned to your truest beliefs. you probably knowing what that is in the first place. Um, Prinstein says, it's a bit of a tug of war. Do you seek to feel good about yourself through social rewards or do you rely on more stable ways of recognizing who you are? A stable sense of self comes from thinking about who you are absent of any feedback, like you were saying. So what are your values and preferences in the absence of anyone knowing about them? Can you be proud of the person you are who isn't publicly posted? And, if you base your identity and self-worth, if you live and breathe something that could be gone tomorrow, what of you would be left if that happened?
1: Oof Yike.
0: And then the last thing I want to say say it. is that I, I will. I think that we should acknowledge all of us, especially any of us out there such as myself, that has a larger following through however way, however means. You want, but poor sentence, but you want to know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. How does that social comparison motivate us to treat other people? <sighs> we like to think that we're totally in control of our little lizard brain, but we really aren't. And I think some of these things can slip under the radar without us noticing that we're even doing it sometimes. And I think it's important to just maybe acknowledge them to see if you can be aware of doing this in your real life. So this sort of social hierarchy, the envy up, score down, Mm-hmm. envy up scorn down can lead us to some really black and white thinking are you needlessly sucking up to people you consider higher on this scale than you or dehumanizing someone out of discomfort uh, are you even at the point where you're trying to manipulate real relationships or workplace relationships because of a social media hierarchy um are you crapping on yourself because of something you don't actually really care about Like, I think, what would be a great example for me? Uh, I'm not hugely into fashion, the moving tide of fashion, but I've certainly found myself looking at posts and thinking, well, my whole wardrobe's shit. Why don't I have this? Why don't I have this new thing? Why don't I have these brands? I don't care about that. But I let myself care about it because of my dumb lizard brain. And then lastly, and I think this is like, the most important point of it all, really, is: Are you valuing the opinions of strangers over people that really love you? Yeah. Um, and I would just encourage us to look at all that stuff and think about how we can make sure that this tool in our pocket, that's in our eyes and ears all the time, isn't actually harming us. And we can, if we can analyze it, if we can be self-aware about it, and if we can acknowledge. That it makes us little attention whores. Yeah. We can try and mitigate some of the bad things we do out of that reaction. Yeah, and that's it. That's what I have to say. That's
1: what she's got to say.
0: (laughs) If I might just jump off my soapbox for a second. What's my skull?
1: I can't even, I don't even know how to score this because I'm just so... Angry? (laughs) I'm angry and I just like... Miss you, and so you when we get to have like these kinds of conversations, it just makes me miss you more. Aww. And so, I don't know, uh, uh, I, I should really just make Frankie's day because you know, we have um, our good friend Frankie in the whatchamacallit community who uh often tallies up the votes, so sweet I tally, two, like, Yeah, uh, 80 points. <gasps> I don't care. It's three <laughs> points. It's that kind of... It's grim day. It doesn't matter. It's grim day. The points don't matter. The stories are real. Yeah. The points don't okay. matter even more. Beautiful. Okay. Thank
0: you so much. Oh, my God.
1: <sighs> All right, Eleanor. Are you ready? Yeah. Yep. It's funny. It's funny how, like, in sync we were because... I said that mine was, you know, am I a good person? And I was kind of joking, but it's because, you know, I love to get into a thought loop about moral relativism and whether I'm a good person. And it's definitely compounded by the performative aspect of social media and just like, which is because we already kind of talked about like, we're synced. We're so synced. (laughs) Uh, We already kind of talked about like, you know, if, if you have a nice thing to say to someone and you don't say it online, did you even really say it? Uh, that kind of thing. And so, Indeed. you know, like the, the thought process that I sometimes hashtag
0: challenge, in, not
1: accepted, not accepted. it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the thing that I get sometimes stuck in is like, okay, well, I want I want to do these things because I think they're the right thing to do. How much of that is serving an idea of myself that I want to achieve, which is that I want to be a good person. I want to be the kind of person that does the right thing. So and I do believe that like we have power over that. Like something I, you know, you and I are talking about recently was like a thing I live by, and it actually came from Jesus stuff. Which oh was my goodness. I can't remember, I don't think it's like in the Bible, but I I want to say it was like a like a religious scholar was saying like your third your first thought is like your instinct or oh, i think yeah. what they said was, like your first thought is like sin like it's like you're like your bodily body your like human body but yep. your second thought is grace like your second thought is who you are and so like the way that i've kind of like interpreted that or like a more secular interpretation is, yeah, like your first thought when you hear something is like your lizard brain. Your second thought is your character. Like it shows you who you really are. Yeah. Inside. And the, the thing that I sometimes struggle with is like, well, if I'm trying to do things because I'm trying to see myself as a good person, then is it still performative? Uh, To which therapists often say, uh, most people who don't do good things also don't care about thinking of themselves as a good person. So you're still batting above average. Yeah. But I don't know, it keeps me up at night because we are social creatures. How can you ever separate your desire to do something good with your desire for like a positive inducement? Like basically, is there a way to separate your desire to do good things from a reward whether that's like a tangible reward a social reward a celestial reward this was like a, a weird thing that i got reward. into where like well so that's the thing Is like it's so funny that you that we're talking about this because you know that i was raised catholic and you were not yes part of this comes from this idea that was told me when i was a child which is that you can't get into heaven if you were only good because you wanted to get into heaven and that obviously really scared me. Uh, That's a so terrifying I was- thing to say to a child. Oh, yeah. So I guess I am kind of realizing in real time, I think this is literally where all this comes from. So if I was like, okay, well, so I can't get into heaven if the only reason I'm good is because I wanted to get into heaven. So therefore, I have to figure out how to do things to be good just because th- they're supposed to be good. But then how do you ever separate that from your desire from some sort of reward?
0: Uh-huh. Anyway.
1: you this You, you don't fuck so I know, anyway. but, like,
0: but i mean assuming but let's the premise is wrong i think that it's it's too i'm sorry if i'm stepping on your topic at all no
1: you're fine it's you're gonna laugh when you find out what the topic actually is
0: okay well i'm really enjoying this intro
1: <laughs> that i think from my
0: you know unacademic reading of the new testament which i think is sort of where, the you know, I, I was brought up Protestant, Chelsea was brought up Catholic, so like, we could have our own podcast about that. But, <laughs> but the premise that I would sort of, that makes sense to me within context of this, is that if you, there is something that you don't want to do, you do it because Jesus did the ultimate thing that he probably didn't want to do for you and it does say for your inheritance in heaven so i think it's dangerous of people of especially people within the church to say oh you can't want a reward in any way shape or form because it even it says you do these good things for your inheritance in heaven yeah don't store up riches for yourself on earth but store them up in heaven by doing good deeds it's like and it's not like a here's your good list, here's your bad list, because that would mean we'd have to go into the whole, like, sin of the human heart and we don't have time. But <laughs> but it's saying, like, yes, there is a reward for doing good and that's a, it's okay to want that reward or feel like if you do a good yeah. thing, a reward is coming, be it heavenly or spiritual.
1: If I were to be generous to the person that told me this, I would say... Were they old? Yes, of course they were. It was Catholicism. <laughs> yeah. Of course they were old. Uh, if I were to be generous I would say that what they were trying to get at and did not explain well was that in a perfect world in a vacuum you and I'm sorry for anybody who was like I didn't come on this podcast to listen to like theology I swear like it connects to other stuff but I also find the
0: interesting stuff within it for yourself yeah
1: also theology is interesting even if it is like a completely like non-religious person it's uh it is the wheel upon which so much of like civilization was built whether you like it or not so it's good to know where it comes from i think this person was trying to say that within the within the paradigm of christianity that you are supposed to want to be good because you are striving to be like christ who made the ultimate altruistic sacrifice and not because you want a reward so that like when mm-hmm. you are doing good things, you should be keeping them centered in this idea because a lot of Catholicism is about self-sacrifice yeah, and atonement. So the idea that they, I think we're trying to impart maybe is that you should be thinking of it in terms of trying to be more like Christ and less about, I need to be good so that I can get my treat.
0: <laughs> my treat, my, my,
1: i guess yeah my brain interpreted it
0: but uh, i guess the theology that i grew up was a little more laissez-faire that's like i think god kind of accounted for our selfish lizard brain and so and so made like a like yeah it's for jesus but you also know that like people aren't gonna do that
1: i mean catholicism is the original daddy issues so oh it's true it's you know it's really hard to separate from some of these uh feelings but i do love figuring out in real time while recording a podcast that this is where this like obsession comes from okay let's talk about one of my favorite stories of people doing something because it was the right thing to do uh-huh and not because it was going to make their life better if anything it was probably going it had the capacity and did in some ways make their life a lot worse okay i am of course talking about the rescue of survivors of the sinking of the titanic by the arm pathea <laughs> <of> <laughs> duh of course we're going back to the Titanic. Obviously. I feel like everybody was like listening to like the last like five minutes. Like, just get to the Titanic. We all know where this is going. Get to Rose and the Heart of the Ocean. <laughs> so, yeah. So speaking of Rose and the Heart of the Ocean, I think that we're all pretty familiar with the Titanic. Case you're not. 1912. Uh, giant fucking luxury liner. They they talked about it like it was unsinkable. It turns out it was super sinkable. Embarrassing. (laughs) And in a fun, shocking twist, it sunk on its very first time out the gate. Um, The problem is is that because it was so large and because they had done all this marketing around the idea of it being unsinkable, uh, they had not put a lot of the protections in place that other boats had at the time, not enough lifeboats for everybody, that was a big problem. Also, they, uh, as you might have remembered from the movie, uh, the, you know, little, like, uh, switchboard dudes with, like, what's that called? The uh, SOS, like, the Morse code dudes uh-huh. go out for sending out messages, and everyone's like, are they having a laugh? Like, what the fuck? What are you guys talking about? You're fine. Oh, y- oh there's no moon, and there's low visibility, and you're in an Iceberg Alley? Ah, they're joshing. They're fine. Nah, they're fine. They're unsinkable. They're unsinkable. It's chill. And they're so, joking. There's a, there's a part that I remember in the Titanic, and this is a uh, very like 90s nostalgia for anybody that wants it we had titanic on vhs and it came on two vhs's because it was too long and <gasps> really the, yes and the place that they cut it was this scene which is why i think i remember it so clearly is the captain goes down to the morse code guys and he's like is anybody coming and they say carpathia says she can get here in four hours and then i'm getting like chills and then Is the that captain... a ship or a ghost what i'm <laughs> just kidding <laughs> I was like, what? so he goes what? he goes the Carpathian can get here in four hours and then the captain says four hours and then he turns and it's like really dramatic turns over his shoulder and he goes i believe you may get your headlines mr ismay boom black and you have to put on the other vhs oh uh, i'm glad that they didn't just like they didn't cut it without intention no they like because like that, that's like the first like two-thirds of the movie and then just the last third of the movie so like they they had a good cut spot They sort of slice it up act three act four it is true that the carpathia they thought was at least four hours away she was 58 miles away she was according oh, to the inquiry that happened later not the closest boat oh, uh no. yes so this is this is controversial. Uh, there was a boat called the SS Californian, uh, which sadly enough, one also sunk <laughs> during oh. World War I, but two, before it sunk, um, was found in the inquiry that was done after the Titanic sank, because so many people died, uh, to have directly like, basically like their inaction killed people. Um, Ooh, so- you don't want to be them guys. Yeah, no, it was not good. Meanwhile, the Carpathia was over four hours away, which when you're talking about freezing temperatures, not enough lifeboats, that's pretty bleak. Uh, Very far away, yeah. But let me tell you about how this goes. Okay. Okay? They get the distress signal from the Titanic. Okay. At 1220 AM. The captain, Captain Rostron, is awoken by the radio operator. That's what they're called. Not little Morse code dudes, radio operators. He's awoken by his radio (laughs) operator. He's explained what the Titanic has said has happened. He, at this point in his career, is untested with this kind of emergency. So between the distance that they were at and the fact that other boats, like the Californian we're not taking it seriously as an emergency remember like you can't get on the phone you can't hear the fear in somebody's voice you're just getting a little tap 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 that's <laughs> like oh we have hit an iceberg and we we are concerned we are concerned oh, we are, con- we are, and having we are a concerned s- about that so, a little bit of a
0: sinkaroo over here
1: in historical context in this way but she, like with you know all of the marketing that had gone out about the titanic nobody would have faulted this captain who was so much further away than these other boats for not doing anything because he had, you know, he had a, a course to go on. I mean, you know, I think that's something else that we don't think about a lot either, right? Cause like we're kind of, none of us really lived in the time of ships, right? But like, <laughs> this was the primary mode of transportation in this time of the world. Yeah. You had a schedule and that was your job. And there were gonna be people who are very angry both on the ship and off the oh. ship. If you were, you know, days late or went somewhere else. And I also, the other thing I like to think about is like, you know, again, we've just talked a lot about like how much of our lives are performance these days. I think a lot of us get caught up in, we wanna do something good, but we're embarrassed about how it might look if we don't if we don't do it just right. So imagine being in charge of this ship Uh, having thousands of souls on board, uh, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cargo, sailing across the Atlantic, and then you decide to take a chance on a distress signal that's over four hours away. So not only did he turn them off course to go meet the Titanic, they pulled out all the stops. So these are all the things that they did. Uh, they, They swung out all of their lifeboats. They also threw down ladders, um They threw ladders down from like the top across the boat so that people who were in the water could just climb in without having to wait for a lifeboat. They poured all of their oil into the water because oil coats the water that's like near the boat so that if it's choppy, it's not as choppy. Whoa. If you think of like waves like breaking against like the side of a giant liner, like a cruise liner, so they in the, poured in the high sea. Oil. Also, like The oil they had, they didn't just have, like, excess oil that they were carting for fun. Like, that was their oil for lamps and cooking and shit. Right. Put all their oil out. They also put nets down so that people could climb onto the nets and try to get, like, out of the water faster. They had three dining rooms. So, again, remember, think think you're, like, on a carnival cruise or something. This This is an amenity that people have paid for. They converted all three into triage and first aid stations. Some of the passengers came to help make hot soup and coffee and tea. Uh, The passengers were woken up and they started donating their own clothes and blankets and bringing them to the dining rooms so that when the people got on the boat, they could start warming them up. And then this is the really insane part. And it's important to note at this point that a lot of this information is coming from this person that I found on tumblr that made me cry at like 3am in the morning when i was reading about this and their name is my lord she's a cactus so hell yeah this is warming my heart oh yeah no this is wild so we don't really have steam ships anymore right like we no i'm gonna be totally honest with you i don't understand how the carnival cruise works but i'm pretty sure it's not steam (laughs) i'm pretty sure it's not steam it might be black magic. I'm not totally sure. Evil. <laughs> Steamships, you guys, again, remember in the Titanic movie, they would show those guys down like in the pits, like just like shoveling coal into shit, right? Yeah. So the steam power did everything on the boat. It didn't just make the boat go, it also is how you had heat and hot water and how you turned all the lights on, how you, you know, made all the food, everything. So this captain, again, this is the first time he has ever responded to an emergency distress on sea. He wakes up every engineer, every stoker, every fireman. Uh, He gets them all out of bed and he says, every ounce of power that we have, I need you to revert it back to the engines. I need you to make this boat go faster than it's designed to go shit like boats in general but especially ships like giant steam liners that are carrying hundreds or thousands of people yeah they're not designed to like go past their top speed like they have a top speed for a reason and if you go past the top speed it can if it's even possible it can break down the ship the carpathia when it was designed its spec said that it's absolute And this is a direct quote, Carpathia's absolute do or die. The engines can't take this forever. Top speed was 14 knots. Dodging (laughs) icebergs. Yeah, not fast. This is 1912. Remember? Yeah. Well, dodging icebergs in the dark and the cold surrounded by mist. She sustained a speed of almost 17 and a half. Oh, good for her. So, and just remember like the reason that the Titanic hit an iceberg. I'm feeling quite weepy. I know, oh, it's very emotional. They almost broke the laws of physics. So, and they were also, just remember Titanic sunk because it was an iceberg alley in a time of like incredible low visibility because there was no moon. So there was no light reflecting from the moon. It was the middle of the night. So it was really, really foggy. So they pushed past their top speed to speed through that, to put themselves through that danger.
0: To get... I wonder if the captain had been more experienced, whether he would not have done that. That's a really good point. There's actually I...
1: probably a possibility that he wouldn't
0: have. Because it was his first thing. I feel like a captain who had been well-seasoned had received the same SOS call. They'd been like, oh, no, no, don't worry about that. Like, we're not, you know, we're not going to be the closest ones. We're not going to do it. This guy couldn't fuck up. So he was just like, let's go for it. But to like an insanely
1: sacrificial degree. Carry on, sorry. (laughs) Okay, no, I mean, I feel the same way. It just, it makes me so emotional because I think that, I think that what part of the reason that this story gets me is because there was like no real impetus. Like I said, they weren't the closest boat. They were, not only that, but they were far enough away that like, it wasn't even clear that they could be helpful. And definitely nobody would have blamed them if they had not decided to do this or if they had waited for confirmation that this yeah. was actually an emergency. But instead, they they did everything they could. They, they were over four hours away. They got there in just under three hours. Oh, they, amazing. By the time they got, and I mean, this isn't including people in the water because obviously like at freezing temperatures, people who hit the water, as we know, part of the reason Titanic is such a horrible tragedy is that if you weren't in a lifeboat, there's almost no way for it you to survive. So cold. It's so cold. Um, but only three people in the lifeboats had died by the time the Carpathia got there. If it had been another hour, or if they'd waited till morning, it could have been, it just. could have been dozens or hundreds more. Um, passengers from the Carpathia universally gave up their staterooms and clothing. They sat there. There's like stories of them just sitting with the survivors, like, while they cried and listening to them and giving them tea. In total, the Carpathia was able to save 705 people from the waters. Titanic had over 2,200 people. No other ship would find survivors. So those 705 people only lived because of the Carpathia's action. I've got goosebumps. And this is the last thing that I wanted to say, because it's the part that, like, I know I have goosebumps too, that I think just, like, this is why it connected for me with like those thought processes that I, yeah my weird like thoughts that i have in my head sure is that, and this is again a direct quote from this person um my lord she's a cactus <laughs> from from our esteemed scholar from us uh, this my is, lord she's a cactus phd <laughs> this is what they wrote at 12 20 a.m april 15 1912 there was a miracle on the Atlantic and it happened because a group of humans, some of them strangers, many of them only passengers on a small and unimpressive steam liner looked at each other and decided I cannot live with myself. If I do anything less.
0: I just punched my microphone.
1: (laughs) And so I think, you know, obviously like the Carpathia is often a footnote in the story about the Titanic because the Titanic is the more kind of overarching, pop culture is the big shiny history. diamond yeah it's the big shiny diamond in the story but i think and i definitely don't want to diminish the tragedy of what happened to people that lost their lives i think it's amazing to sit down and remember people who didn't do it because they wanted to like stand on a you know a pulpit and say it was me the savior there's a reason that you don't know this captain's name it's because he didn't go around and like sell his story saying it was yeah. me it was i i saved the titanic they did it because... I am the hero! They, they, yeah, they did it because this was the right thing to do. And they couldn't live with themselves if they did anything less. Uh, but they did was amazing. Be like the Carpathia, everybody. Yeah, so think about them. So think, think about when... Think about them! When you're trying to decide what to do. And I don't know, it might get you into heaven, I'm not sure. I'm still still on that one. Oh, Chelsea. Yeah.
0: Amazing. I loved it. It made me emotional. Made me, made me cry a little bit. Um, I'm going to give you uh, six points for my emotions. And then I'm going to give you 78 points <laughs> for the percentage that the unsinkable Molly Brown got on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: Is it the 60s one? Oh, I love Yeah. My mom showed it to me when I was a kid. That was... An incredible topic. I
0: feel, I do feel very teary and quite goosebumpy that people would be so selfless. I thought
1: um, it was a
0: nice thing to visit in this time. What a lovely thing to visit the idea of mass selflessness. Can you imagine how that could be relevant to us living in a
1: pandemic? Uh, living in a pandemic specifically where. To also come to a previous what topic, the ask is not necessarily to protect yourself, but to protect the people around you. Yeah.
0: And it's not even to uh, give up a, a lodging that you've paid for, give up services that you've paid for, give, it up, and, give up an expectation of your own travel from or A safety. to B or safety from A to B, uh, but to do the utmost to protect someone that you've never met for the sheer reason because it's the right thing to do. Ugh. just changing changing lives here on this podcast <laughs> my, mostly my Please. life um, thank you so much for joining us on this rather emotional quite philosophical episode yeah it was a lot I did not know this is what we were going to do when we sat down here this afternoon I know we went down a few very I feel like good rabbit holes for Thanks the so betterment too. of ourselves and of others hopefully but in still an informative and interesting way. Hopefully.
1: Hopefully, hopefully. (laughs) Don't tell us if it wasn't. Uh, Chelsea, where can people find you? People can find curated uh, images of parts of my daily life, like uh, food that I make and my cat and Uh selfies uh, and me screaming at different like public figures on Twitter, (laughs) uh, at Chelsea Harfouche. And people can find
0: the slice of sn- slice and snippet of my life that I like to represent through social media uh, at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Mania on Twitter. But please, please feel no need. But it would be awesome just because this is how the world works if you followed our podcast. And that's just interesting stuff about the show and what's on it, unless uh, about us as a brand. So, well, the show is a brand. You know what I mean. And uh, that is at WhatPod on Twitter and Instagram, Patreon, Redbubble. I think that's it. Oh, and Facebook. And our website is available at those two girls club. And is that your? My pizza's that's...
1: ready. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's my pizza yeah. being ready.
1: I mean, yeah, I know. It does definitely feels weird to do like this. Uh, this like sort of CTA. It does. Right? Does it? Episode. I will say, I don't think there's an. I don't want anybody to have come away from this episode feeling shamed for, like, a. Uh, consuming content online i do all the time i love the people at polygon and i watch lots of their videos and i follow a handful of them on social media same also don't i do my best to remember that them having a good video doesn't mean that any of my videos are less good and i also know that they're not my friends
0: that's all we're saying folks (laughs) is be aware yeah happy grim day happy grim day and see you on the other side and chelsea would you please give us the um elvis sign off go on then i will <laughs> okay we'll do that she nodded for a very long time just so you couldn't see that
1: i will give that other sign
0: off but before that hey maybe
1: i don't know go learn something and you know what keep it loose keep it tight say your prayers at night